0: We brought us a couple of uh, go karts Mine's quicker than yours. Um, for a reason, we couldn't actually, I wanted to bring a car in here to make a point, but we couldn't fit two cars in, so we brought two golf carts. How many of you are golfers? Is anybody a golfer? Golfers aren't here, are they? They're actually on the course. But uh, the, the reason we did is this golf cart is electric, and this golf cart is Gas. They're powered by two different types of engines. Uh, how, how many of you here have an electric car? <laughs> all right, we have a few have an electric car. How many of you have a gas car? How about a, a hybrid? Anybody got like a Prius. Don't be ashamed. All right, <laughs> all right. So we have a few, a few of those. Right now, there are electric cars are much more uh, popular than they used to be, and. The thing about it is, whether you choose electric or gas, it has implications. In other words, there are certain things a gas engine can do that an electric engine can't do. If you get an electric engine, it can only go so many miles and then it has to be recharged. It's just the way that it is. The battery runs down, it has to be recharged. If you go with a gas engine, you have to stop at the gas station. You have to put Gas in it from time to time. They have different impacts on the environment. In other words, there are implications when you make a choice. Now, if you go to the automobile store, all right, you go to the car dealership and you get ready to purchase a car, you have to choose. You have to choose a gas engine, electric engine, I guess maybe a hybrid, uh, uh, but, but you have to choose. Have you ever went out on a date or went with your spouse, you know, uh, someone of the opposite sex and you're kind of on a date and you're like, where do you, have you ever had that question, where do you want to eat? How many of you date or are married to someone that are very de- decisive? When you ask that question, they always know where they want to go, okay? How many of you get this answer? I don't care. Wherever you want, right? How many of you get that answer? And then you tell them, You say, well, why don't we go here? And as soon as you get it out of your mouth, what do they say? No. (laughs) Like, I thought you didn't care. Well, the reason they said they didn't care is because, well, if there's nothing in the mind, there's no implication. But the moment you say, we're going to go to this place, there are implications. It's going to cost a certain amount of money. You're going to have to wait a certain amount of time. You're going to have a certain kind of food. I mean, there are implications depending upon which you choose. And the same is true when it comes to our lives. We've been in this series and we've been talking about this power battle, the battle between you and God, between me and God. Who's going to be in control? What's going to be the engine that powers our lives? First week, we talked about how even rest really is a power battle or a struggle of whether or not we're going to trust God or we're going to trust ourselves. And the truth is, is that you have to choose what will be the engine that powers your life. If you pull out that outline that you got, When you came in, that's exactly what Joshua says in Joshua chapter 24. He looks out at the people he's leading and look at what he says in verse 15. He says, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose. You gotta choose. To not choose is to choose. This is not a choice that you can walk away from. None of us can. We all have to choose and we have to choose for ourselves. You, you can't choose. I can't choose for you. You can't choose for me. Choose for yourselves today whom you're going to serve, whether it's the gods that your father served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house. We are going to choose the Lord. Now, we're going to look. At Genesis chapter 11. Because we've been looking at this power struggle in the book of Genesis. I want to warn you up front. I've gotten better now that this is like the third service this weekend. But for some reason in my mind, I keep thinking I'm teaching from Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know why. So I just wanted you to know that if I say Hebrews chapter 11, don't listen to me. Okay. It's Genesis chapter 11. That is the passage that we're looking at today. And we're going to read these nine verses, so stay with me, okay? Don't let your mind wander. Take a sip of coffee. This is known as the, the Tower of Babel. This is really where we discover where all the different languages came from. Now, again, not all the languages were developed here. Language develop, languages develop over time. This is 150 years after the flood. So if you know, in Genesis chapter 6... Man had become extremely violent, extremely wicked. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And God sent the flood. He rescued in an ark... Noah, his wife, his three boys, and their wives. If you want to do a really incredible study, go to Genesis chapter six and realize that the ark is a type of Christ. Okay, in other words, that those uh, uh, eight people were in the ark. They weren't hanging on to the ark. They were secure, just like we are in Christ. The outside of the ark. The, the, if you look in uh, Genesis six, it talks about how God told him to. Um, to they put this. Um, Atonement is actually the Hebrew word that's used on the outside of the ark to keep water from getting in. And what was water? Water was the wrath of God, right? Well, you, 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 the word, it's kapar, is the same word we get for atonement in the New Testament, which is a representative of what? The blood of Christ that surrounds us as believers and doesn't allow what? The wrath of God. And that'd be a good sermon right there, but that's not the one we're doing, okay? We're doing Hebrew, uh, Genesis chapter 11. And it's been 150 years since all that happened. So the people are already screwed up again. Okay? Look at what it says. It says, now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. Now that might seem repetitive, but what he's saying, Noah, I mean, Moses wrote this. So what he's saying is that it's like you could go to Britain. They speak English, but they would use words that you didn't recognize. I grew up in Arkansas, and I promise you, you could go to Arkansas, and they speak a type of English. But there's a lot of words they would use you wouldn't understand. So what uh, Moses is saying is that they not only spoke the same language, they had the same vocabulary. I mean, they were the same mindset, the the same ideas. Verse 2, and it came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, if we don't, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. They all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. What is that about? Does that mean that God's afraid that men are going to, you know, uh, come in and overtake heaven? He says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. All right? So when we look at Genesis chapter 11, the first thing that kind of pops out at us is this right here, is that there's an invitation given. That's why I say you have to choose. You have to choose which Engine is going to power your life. Which invitation you are going to accept. You cannot not choose. Now, the first invitation, of course, is the invitation of mankind. The invitation of our culture. The invitation of the world. The invitation to power my own life, right? The power struggle is between you and God. It's between me and God, who is king, who is master, who is Lord, who is in control. And mankind, culture, my own skin is one invitation and God is is the other. If you go back with me and look in verse 3, look at what it says. It says, they said to one another, come, let us make. The word come is an invitation. They're like, come join us. Come be a part of building this city and building this tower. We're going to do it ourselves. Verse 4, they said, come, let us build. The invitation is, let's, let's do this together. There is strength in doing this together. There, there is something uh, about. And that really, doesn't that same invitation come today? I mean, if, if you think about it, what is a commercial? A commercial is an invitation to join a certain product. Because when you and I are trying to decide what engine is going to power our lives, what questions are we asking? I mean, when you try to decide how you're going to date, are you going to be sexually active or are you are not going to be sexually active? When you try to decide what you're going to do with your finances, whether you're going to give to this, save here, spend there, well, how do you make those decisions? When you decide who you're going to marry, how do you make that decision? Whether you're going to go to college. Most of us, if not all of us, look at these two invitations. Here's what God says. Here's what I think. And we make the decision dependent upon which one we believe will bring us the greatest joy, the greatest peace, the greatest success, the greatest happiness, right? Give us the greatest sense of peace in our finances, the greatest sense of joy in our relationships, Those are the things that kind of go through our mind. And so the world invites, hey, come join us. I mean, if you think about it, what is all the media that we consume? All the different television shows and all those things, they're basically invitations to join the culture in doing life that way. Hey, here's the way you do relationships. Here's the way you do success. Here's the way, come on, join us. Here's the way we all dress. Here's the way we all live. Here's the way we all do all these different things. Now, as you're trying to make that determination, it's important to know that even if you look at modern history, there's always been this invitation. And there is a um, danger in following the crowd. I'm going to show you why in a moment. But there's a danger in following the crowd. And yet, doesn't it come natural? Have you ever been maybe to a ball game at one of the stadiums? Maybe it's your first time there and you're not sure exactly, you know, do you go in A or double A or triple A or B or C? And so what do you do? You just follow the crowd. Well, why? Because they're inviting you. They seem to know where they're going. Well, you realize that's exactly what happened in World War II, Hitler. Right? Hitler invited, hey, come join me as we build this superior race. And it wasn't just Hitler that killed millions of Jews. It was a whole culture that did. It was a whole country. It was a whole group of people that gathered together as a result of an invitation that they believed would lead to the joy, the happiness, the success. That was along the path. Same thing that Stalin did, same thing that ISIS does today. They're offering an invitation. Hey, if you want true peace, if you want true eternity, if you want to make your life count, you want to make it matter, then then come. Come, come, come and join us. Now, the other option, all right, that God gives us, Paul talks about uh, God's invitation to join him in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But let's just read Matthew chapter 11 because it comes directly from Christ himself. He says... Come to me. So it's the same uh, English word here in the New Testament that we read about in Genesis chapter 11. Where the word, world, the culture, you, your skin, your own skin says, come on, let's join everybody else. God says, Jesus says, come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you what? Yeah, rest. Verse 29, take my yoke. What does that mean? Take my yoke upon you. It, It means to get into my golf cart. It means to make your decisions as the result of being powered by me. Yoke up with me. Do life with me. Uh, The message translates it as that we will, uh, you you know, dancing, a sense of dancing with Christ. Doing life. He steps and we follow him. And he steps and we follow him. He says, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. You cannot ignore these invitations. You must choose. And if I could say it a different way, you have chosen. You are doing life as a result of this invitation, or you are doing life as a result of this invitation. And what Genesis chapter 11 does an incredible job of doing us is showing us the implications. It's like showing us the difference between an electric engine and a gas engine. You choose. And then the implications of the battery or the uh, the fuel, the gas, the environment, all those things then come into play. For example, what uh, what are the different opportunities as a result of the invitation you accept? Hebrews, or excuse me, Genesis 11 tells us that there are different opportunities. Let's let's look at the opportunity of accepting the invitation of mankind or of our culture, of your own skin. What opportunity is available if we should choose that invitation? If you go to chapter 9, verse 1. Right after Noah and the boys got off the ark, look at what God says to them. And God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and you will fill the earth. Now this is just one of many places where God looks at them and he says, okay boys, you you and your wives, you need to go and have a bunch of babies and you need to scatter out over the whole world. I, I want you to multiply and I want you to scatter. That's what God tells them to do. Now, if we go back to Genesis chapter 11 and we look in verse 2, we see what they did. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And what's the next word? What's the next word? What? Yeah, settled. They settled there. So the opportunity as a result of receiving or taking the invitation of culture or mankind is to settle they settled they came upon a plane and they said you know what this is awesome this is a great place and let's just build an incredible city we'll build an amazing tower and you you know it's all going to be good we can do it together we can do it together now why why is it that we settle when we choose the invitation of culture When you choose the invitation for you to be in charge. Well, what does the scripture say? It says that they settled because they were what? Fearful of being scattered. It says they said, let's build a tower and let's build a city. Because if we don't, then we're going to be scattered. In other words, they settled because of fear. Fear always paralyzes. The majority of us, when we choose, and you can't be a hybrid. That's what we like to be. We want to say we are are, are serving God while we do life our way until something comes that we cannot control, and then we want to go to God. You can't do it. you got to choose, like Joshua said. Do you know what a lot of us do? A lot of us choose to settle. In other words, we follow uh, God up to a point in which we can't see any further. Why were they afraid of being scattered? Because when they were scattered, they were then alone. The moment they got beyond everybody, now they were completely um, vulnerable to God. What if they got out there by themselves and God didn't do what he said he would do? What if they got out there by themselves and God wasn't king, wasn't master, wasn't Lord? I mean, what if they, and they're like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to try. Whoa, I don't want to do that. I mean, what happens if we get out there and there's nothing to eat? What if we get out there and, you know, we get sick and there's nobody to help or we need to build something and there's nobody around. And so what did they say? They said, I, I, we can't risk that. So let's just do it here. And we're going to build something so beautiful here that it's going to impress God. And, and, and it'll be good. And isn't that exactly what many of us do? Right? You, you walk by fear. You get you're obedient to God up to a point. You take the area of relationships or the area of finances, right? You, you give a little here and you give a little there. You know what God asks for, the invitation that he makes. Trust me completely with your finances. And the Bible's very clear on what we're to do financially when it comes to following him and our generosity and our tie, all that kind of stuff. But what do we do? We go as far and then we're like, oh man, but what if God's not faithful? So I I can't tithe here. I can't be generous there. I can't help this person over there. And so we stop halfway. We say, well, I'll just do this. This will make God happy, right? I mean, at least we went to the plains. We didn't build this city right on the outside of the ark. At least we went, right? That'll make God happy, but that's not what we see in Genesis chapter 11. See, there are implications if you're going to be in control, then you got to own that. you got to realize that the opportunity will always be to settle because the opportunity that God gives us is to succeed. But understand that that success is on the other side of faith. That's what the Scripture says. Look with me. And I think I put in your outline, John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. You might have it overflowing. In other words, God says that if you will power your life by me and my word, then you will experience an abundant life. In Jeremiah 29.11, we talk a lot about, look what it says. It's, I think it's in your outline. For I know the plans I have for you declares who? God, yeah, God. Plans, and what are those plans? To prosper you. They're not to harm you. God says, I've got this incredible plan for you to succeed, but in order to experience that success, you have to do what? You have to scatter. You have to trust me. And 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. You, you realize, right, that most of us Will never experience the success that God has promised because we will settle for what we can see. It, scripture says because there are implications, right? Right? Because partial obedience is not obedience; it's disobedience. Now, if you have children and you're say ask your children to do something and they do it halfway, you're not like, woo, way to go," right? But that no, that's what your kids will say. They say, well, mom, at least, you know, I may not clean my room, but I washed off my desk. Yeah, but I, what did I ask you to do? Right? Your curfew's at midnight. Well, dad, at least I came home. It was four, but I came home. Right? You're like, whoa, well, good. You came halfway. No, no. You're like, no, no, that's disobedience. Therefore, I'm not going to bless you. your father with what I was going to do because the blessing came at 1230, but you weren't here. Right? Do you understand that? Do you realize that so many of us are mad at God because we are struggling in areas of our lives, but the reason we are struggling is because you have received the invitation to power your life by your own wisdom and knowledge. You have stopped. Only in what you can see, you are building your marriage, you are building your kids, you are building your finances, you are building your business on the plains of Chenier. And that is to settle. And so you will never see. I will never see what God has uh, promised when it comes to the area of success, unless we are able and are willing to power our life by his word. And he says to Scatter. The word says he says to trust him in the area of our finances. Trust him in the area of our relationships. Trust him in raising our children. uh, Trust him in following him. Isn't that what he asked Abraham? He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, but I'm not going to make you a great nation where you presently live. You're going to have to go to a land that you've never gone to before. In other words, you're going to have to walk by faith, not by sight, to experience the promise. And that's exactly what Abraham did, and that's exactly what God fulfilled. Understand. That if you're not experiencing the promise of God, it's not because God is not faithful. It is because you and I have settled. So the opportunity, I didn't put, I forgot my little sign. I get so excited. The opportunity, all right, there are a couple of doors. And it's at in which invitation are we going to accept? There are implications. The next one that Genesis 11 tells us is um, whichever invitation that we accept determines the pathway that we will take towards our salvation, all right? When we think about eternity and, and we think about, you know, grabbing hold of the life, what do you call it? Life preserver, right? Which invitation we accept will determine the pathway to salvation we take. Again, let's go back to Genesis 11. Look with me at verse 4. They said, come let us build for, what's the next word? What is it? Yeah, ourselves. A city. And a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Now, because we know um, the the Babylonian uh, religion it's not a big stretch to believe that there's some aspect of this tower being built that has religious significance okay because they say we will build it ourselves it's the tower will reach into heaven and we will make a name for who for ourselves so 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 what are they saying who is going to bring about salvation which is the idea of eternity but it's not just the idea of eternity. It's the idea of happiness. It's the idea of joy. It's the idea of peace. It's the idea of success. It's the idea of breakthrough. That's all the things that are encompassed here. And what do they say? Come join us and we will ourselves build our joy. We will build our success. We will build our happiness. We will build our eternity. We're going to build a tower. That's going to, that's going to impress God. I mean, there's no way in the world that he's going to reject us for eternity when we build this this tower up to heaven. Come join us. This is, we are, so we're going to take ownership for all those things. We're, we're going to take ownership for our salvation, for our peace, for our joy, for our eternity. They are all going to be dependent upon myself. And like I said, this is where we, we, what we, we often want a hybrid. We often want to say that we're trusting God but the power of our life comes from ourselves. If you were to look at your life honestly, if I were to look at my life honestly and say, when it comes to the finances of my life, am I making decisions based upon God's word or upon what I think is best? When it comes to whether or not you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you're not married, are you making that decision based upon what you think God is okay with or what you think will bring you joy or upon what God's word says? When it comes to what you allow into your eyes or into your ears or into your heart, how are you making that decision? How, 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 how are, it's within our own strength. Then when something happened, when the doctor says you have cancer and we realize within our own strength, we can't do anything about that. When the horrific events of Orlando happened and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't do, I can't stop that. I don't know when that's going to happen. Then we're like, oh no, I want to be powered by this can't be a hybrid you got to choose you have already chosen I have already chosen Will I choose to take the responsibility for myself as they did in Genesis chapter 11 and say we're going to do this for ourselves we're going to build this um, for ourselves I like what it says in verse five if you look at the very next verse it says and the Lord did what What's it say? And the Lord did what? Oh, let me hear you. We can all say this together. The Lord what? Came down. Yeah, came down. <laughs> he came down to see the city. They had built this incredible city. All of mankind had built this incredible city. They all spoke the same language. They all had the same vocabulary. I mean, they were all in one, of one mind, one track. They were all unified. I mean, they're all going in one direction. They build this amazing city. But as amazing as the city is and amazing as the tower is, God still has to do what? Come down. He still has to come down. In other words, the best they had to offer was still less than who God was. And that's exactly what the prophet Isaiah tells us. If you look with me in Isaiah 64, 6, he says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. The word unclean there, he's talking about the uh, leprosy. Leprosy is this horrible disease that, you know, attacks the body and eats away at the body. You know, in other words, so your, your limbs, your fingers, I mean, all that stuff just kind of gets eaten away and it just kind of falls away. And so they would wrap, people would wrap themselves to try to keep themselves literally together to keep the skin from falling off and the limbs from all those different things from happening. And, and so in, um, during this time period, you'd see folks just kind of wrapped in, in all these things. That, that's, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that kind of leprosy. And then he says, and all of our righteous deeds... All of our going to church, all of our taking of communion, all of our being baptized, all of our giving of our resources, all of our righteous deeds are like what? No, no, what's it say? Like what? All right, let's just read this out loud together. Because Here, listen, this is too important for you to miss, to let your mind wander in some other, uh, other direction. We're talking about eternity here. We're talking about the joy and the peace and the love that some of you don't have, and you're mad at God. And the reason you're mad at God is because you have no understanding of what God actually wants to do in your life. This is serious stuff. So let's, let's, let's read this out loud together. All right, we're going to start right there at the beginning. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our... Filthy garments. We're going to stop right there. All our righteous deeds. And the filthy garment is, it's of um, uh, lepers. It's leprosy. The the rags that they use is what God's saying. In other words, what God is saying is the best you can do is foul in my presence. I have to come down. The best you can do. And it's important. This is why I think this is so important. Because the majority of us, If the Bible is right, because the Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction. So if the scripture is right, the majority of us right here in this room, not counting those in another campus, another service, not those watching on television, not those watching online. Just the majority of us in here have chosen this invitation and it leads to destruction. But the reason you and I think we're okay is because we believe that something we have done is better than something someone else has done, and in the end, it will protect us. I was baptized at some point in my life. Therefore, it must mean that I have eternity life. You're dead wrong according to the scripture. I have taken communion, so therefore I must truly be a Christian. You are dead wrong. I came to church today, therefore God must be happy. You are dead wrong. I gave some money, therefore God must be pleased. You are dead wrong. You could have helped, you could have given everything you've got away and still spend eternity separated from God. Because the best you have, the best I have is still leprous rags to God. The only way to get to heaven when you yourself is to be perfect did you know that the Bible says that if you violate one of the 613 the law the Torah you violate one of them you violated all of them have you ever lied ever in your life have you ever lied you ever not told the truth you know what the Bible says then no matter what you do you're going to hell doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter Doesn't matter what you do. If you've ever lied, that's why this decision that you and I make is so important. And somehow we're able to sleep at night because we think that we're better than those in the, you know, those ISIS people or we're better than our neighbor or we're better than that hypocrite. And what we don't understand is that when you choose to live your life empowered by your own power, you have to be perfect to get to heaven. That's what the scripture says. Salvation is not something that is earned. It's not earned. It's not, about, it's, not, it's not about church. It's not about communion. It's not about baptism. It's not about serving. None of those things earn us salvation. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God saved you. God saved me by his what? By his grace, by his grace. When you believed him, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. What does that mean? It means that salvation is a complete work of God. It has nothing to do with you. The Bible says that unless Jesus is lifted up, you would not be drawn You've heard people say, well, I found God. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Do you know the scripture teaches that if it weren't for God moving on your life, you wouldn't even see a need for him? You would never turn towards him. The fact that there's something inside of you that desires to turn towards him, that there's something inside of you that says there must be more than just what I'm experiencing now, that is an act of God. All of salvation is done only by him. He draws us to him. He gives us the ability to see him. It's all him. It's all him. It's all him. That's so why, why any time, any time you're tempted to believe that you're okay because of something you've done, you're wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches anyways. It's not what the Bible calls the good news. And so we have to choose which path, which Which engine is gonna power our lives? Are you gonna spend as many people do all their life trying to be good enough to make God happy? Because if I can make God happy, then He'll bless my finances. If I can make God happy, then He'll take care of my kids. And He must not lie, I must have made God mad, that's why my kids are sick. Or I must have made God mad, that's why I'm struggling financially. So I've got to now do enough good to make God happy. Listen to me. No, 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 no. You can't, that's that's within your own strength. It's within your own power. The works that we do, the good deeds that we do, we do not so that we can receive, but because we already have. We already have. See, that that leads us to to the motivation. Because depending on what's power in our lives will determine what motivates us. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I've never, right? A carrot, you know, holding a carrot, trying to get you to do something. We've got a little puppy and I can use a little, little... puppy treats to get the puppy to follow me. Um, but what, what's the motivation for our lives? Because detem- determining on what powers our lives will impact what motivates our lives. In other words, why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? Why did you choose to be here today? Why do you choose to, to, to love your spouse? I mean, what, what, what is our motivation? Well, let's look, first of all, at the invitation that mankind or culture or myself, right, in my own skin gives me. He says in verse 4, let us make for ourselves a name. So why did they build the city and the tower? Did they build it to help mankind? Did they build No, they built it for what? Themselves. So the motivation of your life being powered by you is selfishness. It, it, it's about me. And selfishness always takes. You you, you realize, right, you can even come to church for selfish reasons, right? I mean, you you can be powered by self and still be at church, but you're here for you. I mean, your whole thought process, whole time has been you. Where are you gonna park? What time are you gonna get here? Where are you gonna set? You hope they do the songs you like. You hope it's a teaching that helps you. You hope you feel something. You hope you hear something. It's all, about, it's all about you. Your motivation for even trying to learn some things about Christ becomes selfishness. So when that happens, then what is, what is the outcome of that? Well, we take, don't we? You take the best parking spot. You take the best seat. You come at the best time. Right? It's all about taking. There's an, it, when you and I decide that we're going to accept the invitation to be powered by ourselves, it determines what motivates us. And there are lots of examples in Scripture. Daniel chapter 4 is all about King Nebuchadnezzar and him saying all the things that he did. And of course, if you read the text there, God said, well, you're not right. And then he shows him. Same thing with in the New Testament, King Herod, right? He says, it's what I want, how I want it, and when I want it. Now, God's motivation is different. God's motivation is love. A scripture you're probably familiar with. I I put in your outline, John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He did what? What did he do? Yeah, he gave. He gave. He gave his only son that was so precious to him so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Selfishness takes and if I'm going to power my life by my wisdom and, 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 and by my insight and by my decision-making, then I am going to take. Because that's what's powering me. I can't do both. You cannot be powered by a battery and stop at a gas station and it help you. Now, if I am powered by God, in other words, I make the decisions that I make based on what his word says. I make the decisions about my finances, about my, my marriage, about my parenting, about all that I do, I make it based on what he said, then what happens is my motivation becomes what? According to the scripture, it becomes love. And love always gives. Right? Love gives. See, when our power to be here is not self, but love, you know how you know, you, you, you've given. You gave away the best parking spot. You gave away the best time to come at a bad time. You gave away the best seat. You gave away your energy in serving. You gave away your love. Even when it comes to worship, think about it. You know how selfish people worship? God, what are you going to give me today? God, I want to receive today. God, you got to help me. It's all about me. That is not praise praise is all that i am acknowledging all that he is who he is in your worship was it about you or was it about him was it about what you need him to do taking from god or was it about you giving humbly what's the bible say in the last day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess what that god no is no no that god is lord not going to be about what God gives. It's going to be about what we, right? We worship him. We praise him. We give him. And it's all determined by what powers our life. Love gives. It gives in our worship. It gives in our finances. It gives in our marriage. What did Paul say? Your body's not yours. It's your spouse's. Sex in, 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 in marriage is not about what I can get from my wife. It's about what I can give my wife. And for my wife, it's not about what she can get from me. It's about what she can give me. Because when we're powered by God, that's what love does. But when we're powered by our own selves, and it's a battle we all face. Because this skin will not surrender until eternity. I mean, it battles. it's a continual battle for it to be about me. For me to be in charge, for my motivation to be me. Love gives, selfishness takes, and you and I have to choose. Just a couple more is which one is sustainable? You know, which power is gonna last? Right? Because that's important. You you, you wanna know if you're gonna run out of gas. How many of you, I have a car. Uh, and probably like yours where does it tell you like when you get close to run out of gas it says so many miles left but then uh, mine will all of a sudden you know if you don't fill it up all of a sudden it'll say just low it's just like you're in big trouble buddy you know what I mean and I'm one of those people that if it says hey you got 10 miles why fill up now I got places to go right let's wait till it's about a mile you know Right, and, and and it's like all of a sudden. So it's like that's, this is an important question for me. What's sustainable? You know, what 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 is going to last? Well, Moses contrasts. This is interesting, because you wonder why did Moses do this? He wrote the book of Genesis in chapter four. Excuse me, verse four of chapter eleven. It says, and he contrasts what they used to build this city in Shinar uh, with, or the or the plat- plateau of Shinar with what the Israel had used in the past. He says, look what it says in verse 4, and they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. So they used brick instead of stone and they used tar instead of mortar. And when you look into Scripture, you realize the brick is taking the different elements of sand and all the different things that were there um, in between these two rivers. And it says in the text, they put them in the kiln. They baked them thoroughly, and they made bricks. And then they built this city, and they built this tower out of bricks as opposed to stone. Well, stone lasts forever. Stone is something that God made. And when you look in the Scripture over and over, it compares God to stone. I gave you one example, Isaiah 26, 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. The New Testament says that Jesus is the cornerstone, all right, that it is eternal, where brick is something that will eventually just fade away. That's the difference between this city, this tower, and the pyramids, One's made from brick, and one's made from stone. Stone has a lasting, uh, a lasting effect. So um, it, Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 7. He said there's this guy, and he built a house. Really cool house, but he built it on sand, which brick are made from. And he said that when the storms come, in Matthew chapter 7, and the wind blows, the house falls with a loud noise. But he says there's another dude who builds the house on rock are on stone and when the winds come and when the rains come it stands strong see the the reality is if you build your house upon your own strength and your own wisdom you are determining what you're going to do when it comes to God's word and what you're not going to do there are things that are going to come into your life that are bigger than you The doctor's going to make a phone call. Something's going to happen to someone you love. Something's going to happen in our world. Something's going to happen in our economy that you can't control, you can't fix. And it's in that moment that it all collapses. It's in that moment that you see people start looking in other directions and start wondering what in the world's going to do. And you see fear overcome them and worry overcome them and stress overcome them because what they have built has fell to the ground. They've lost their finances. They've lost their hope. They've lost their faith. They, they've lost all of these things. But when we build our house up on Christ, when we build our house up on the solid foundation or the rock our lives are powered by God no matter what happens in this world we still have hope that's what makes us as Christ followers different from all the other world that we know God is all-powerful he is all-knowing he is everywhere at one time and he has never been surprised and that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose so there is always a hope We can always stand strong. We can always stand with a sense of confidence. We can always stand with a sense of belief. It is sustainable because it is strong. There are implications to choosing what will power your life. Last two real quick is what will the the product be, you know? I got a widget here or several widgets. Factories produce widgets. And if God powers our life, it will produce certain things. And if I power my life, if mankind powers my life, culture powers my life, it will produce certain things. Well, if we go back to verse 6, we see what our own strength, our own power produces. It says, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them to do. They say, we're going to build this city because if we don't, we're going to be scattered. And they were afraid of being scattered. So God comes down and he sees that they, they're, you know, a one mind, one uh, vocabulary, one language. And he says, there's nothing they can't do. And I think what God is saying is that there is nothing to impede them from destroying themselves. The wisdom writer says in Proverbs fourteen twelve, he says, there's a way that seems right unto man that leads to destruction. In other words, left to ourselves we will destroy ourselves, right? I mean, we naturally destroy our, it's just like we will eat brownies until we destroy ourselves, right? I mean, science has told us that you eat these certain kinds of food, you're gonna destroy your cir- circulatory system. You're gonna destroy, you know, all, but we, what, what we, left to ourselves, we do what? Yum, 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 yum. And you think about how many habits do you have in your life left to yourself that would destroy you and so God looks down and he says my goodness he says now with the, them being in this sense of unity there's nothing to keep them from destroying themselves and that is that is always the outcome of our skin when you do what you want to do how you want to do it when you want to do it where you want to do it it always leads to destruction and that's that's that that that's the that's the product. You look in verse eight. It says, "And they stopped building the city." What was the product? It was unfinished, destruction, halfway done, regret. What could have been? What might have been? You know, the Bible, when talking about eternity, says that in hell there's a gnashing of teeth. Hell is a Greek word, Gehenna, which is a real valley where they did child sacrifices. <clears throat> And that's the word Jesus uses to describe hell. And he says there'll be gnashing of teeth. And if you think about it, when do we gnash our teeth? It's in regret, right? If you've ever been a golfer and you miss a close putt, you're, ah! When you burn the brownies, you're like, ah! You know, right? It's, it's a sense of regret. And the Bible says that hell, separation from God, is eternal. What could have been? I mean, right, I mean, when you do when you're the power for your life, you look back on a broken marriage, you say, what it could have been. You look back on what the time you could have given to your, to your kids or the teaching you, oh, what, what could have been. That, that's the outcome. You, you, we see it all around us. We see it in our own lives. Well, what about the product of being powered by God? Well, if we continue in Ephesians 2, Where in 8 and 9, he says, we're saved by grace, through faith, that not of ourselves, a gift of God. Verse 10, he says, for we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned long ago. You know, if you look at the product of a life powered by God, even if you look in our modern world at hospitals and orphanages and higher education, and um, places that take care of those with addiction or feed those who are hungry. Where are all those produced? Where are all those birthed? They're the product of love. I I, I, I can't tell you a hospital that a group of atheists have built or humanists because their motivation is self. And and so it produces two different things. There are implications to which power source you're going to choose. I've been here for a while, 16 years, and so I've been able to look through the lens of time. And you know what my fear is for us? My fear is, is that there are many who have, with their words, said, there is a God, I choose God, but this is what powers their life. They make their own decisions. Do what we want when we want. And if we do sacrifice, we sacrifice. Well, so there will be a benefit to us. James says that's not the good news. That's not the gospel. That's not salvation. That's being powered by self. We all face this Internal battle of who will be in charge. And nobody can make that decision but you. But the decision that you have made and will make has tremendous implications. Would you bow your head with your head bowed and your eyes closed? And I want to give you an opportunity, just there where you're sitting. To uh, choose, to accept an invitation from God, come unto me, all ye who labor and beat up and worn down, and I'll give you rest. Put on my yoke, do life with me, follow me, trust me, dance with me. And if that's your heart, If Jesus has come down, even in this service, to tap you on the shoulder, then I invite you to trust him. Just say something like this. Just say, God, I want you to power my life. I want my motivation to be love. I want my opportunity to be what you created me to be. Your success on the other side of faith, total obedience. Forgive me for doing it my way. I've been the power. I've been the decision maker. I've been the king, the controller of my life. And I change directions and surrender to you. And the Bible says there are no magic words, but with the mouth we confess and the heart we believe. So when we ask and surrender with a sincere heart, Scripture teaches that God does what we ask him to, which results in a transformed life. A different power source, which delivers different results. Father, thank you for the book of Genesis. And may we fight this battle. May the skin not win. May the invitation be rejected. And may we power our lives, our marriages, our finances. May it all be powered on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give God a hand?